um, thanks to our, our praise team. I don't think we do this enough, but can we uh, just give a round of applause thanking our praise team for leading us in, in, in worship through song? We are, are, are talking here, kind of the third week of this, around this theme of uh, just how God is, is wanting to do that we believe and we are expecting God for greater things in, in our lives and in our church and in our world and through us in the places where he's calling us to be. I was thinking about um, some of the, the people that I know. And, I know, you know, in every, in every generation of, of people, uh, throughout every point of, of history, uh, throughout the world, uh, there are people who rise up and they are the ones who shape the future. They're the ones who make history. They're the world changers and the difference makers. And I remember growing up, these people were my heroes. I would look up to people like the President of the United States or look up to these actors and, and, and actresses that I really respected because they were making a difference in the world. And, and in our culture, in our generation today, people are doing that, whether they're CEOs of large corporations or they're philanthropists, whether they're, they're preachers, whether they're uh, celebrities, uh, whoever they are, people are, are leaving uh, their mark, making an impact in the world. And as I was thinking about, um, the older I get, the more I realize that these people who are making news, making headlines, are people that, some of them are people that I've actually uh, gotten the privilege to, to know. And one of the guys that I grew up in, in, in youth group with, when I was much younger, he is now a, a world-famous chef, and he's got a few restaurants in New York City. He's been featured on Bravo TV and on the Food Network. He was on uh, Top Chef and, and other shows like that. And, and I think about people like that, and I'm like, wow, you know, this is pretty cool stuff that, that you know, he, he's there. And he's on the cover of New York Magazine and New Yorker and, and won all these awards for, for being the, the new rising star of the cooking industry. And Think about that. I'm like, that's really cool. And there was this girl in, in high school. She wasn't a friend of mine, um, but she was, you know, she was a really uh, studious student. And she works for ABC News now. And, and we're, uh, we, we see each other's pictures on Facebook. And I see that she's become quite successful in the world. She uh, works for ABC News as friends with, like, Barbara Walters. And, and Will Ferrell has pictures with all these guys. And, and she flies, has flown on Air Force One, and she took pictures uh, of what Air Force One, the inside looks like, and of the, the stationery and the napkins and stuff like that. And, and through the beauty of Facebook, I feel like I am vicariously riding on Air Force One. It's crazy stuff. Um, part of this uh, email group for preachers uh, is called like Preaching Today or something like that. And, and each week, each uh, week they send out an email, there are a couple featured sermons. And about two, three weeks ago, I was reading this email, and I was surprised because two featured sermons, one of them was a man named John Piper that most of y'all know, and another one was this Korean guy. And I was like, holy cow, this looks very familiar. In fact, it was very familiar to me. He's actually uh, one of my friends. He was a, a student of mine, a Bible study student of mine when we were in college, and he's come and he's spoken at one of our retreats very early on in 2002. But he was featured on there as one, along with John Piper, as one of the featured sermons for preachers to learn from. I'm like, man, this is amazing stuff. I realize the older I get that our friends and our peers are going to be the ones who are making history and shaping the world and, and changing uh, the future of the world that we live in. And as I thought about it, I, I, I began to ask myself, why, shouldn't, why should I be surprised? And why should, if someone is going to make history, why, why wouldn't it be someone that we know? Why wouldn't it be somebody that we have grown up with? Why couldn't it? Why shouldn't it? Why not? I was talking with Olivia. She was actually uh, talking with a few of us a couple weeks back, and she was like, you know, in our congregation, I really uh, feel like there are some world changers in our midst. 
And as she was talking about some of the people and, and some of the hopes and some of the dreams that they have, she was just getting really excited and passionate. And, and she was just kind of spreading that enthusiasm to, to others that she was talking with about the fact that there are people who are going to go down in, in history when all is said and done as people who left a, a, a forever imprint in this earth as they go the way of our ancestors in their time. I thought about that and I was so excited because this is what we're about, isn't it? That God has, has brought us into this corner of the earth for such a time as this so that we could leave this earth a better place than when we entered into it. That's our call, and that's what we do as a church. That's what we're trying to do as a church is to raise up people who will take seriously the call of God in our lives to say, hey, I've been given a gift. I've been given a treasure in my life, and I'm going to go and I'm going to share that with the world so that this world can become a better place, so that for the glory of God, lives can be changed. And I believe with all of my heart that it is happening through us, and it will continue to, to do so through us. But as I was thinking about this, I want to kind of take a step back. I'd like to kind of take a step back because I know how easy it is and how exciting it is to talk about changing the world that we live in. Because I want to do that. I know that a lot of y'all want to do that also. To think about these people that we're praying for and to long to see them being brought into the kingdom and for them to go out and become disciple-producing agents for the kingdom of God. I know how it's exciting it is to do that and, and how exciting it is for us to go to North Korea and to go to Ecuador and to go to China and to go to the Dominican Republic and go to the inner cities and to make a difference there. But I wonder, and I, 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 I say this often, I wonder if that desire to change the world out there is masking in my heart and in our hearts an inability to change ourselves. See, it's a whole lot easier to want to change them out there than it is to sit down and do the hard work of allowing God to change me right here. You know what I'm saying? I talk about this with, with Pastor Albert a lot at our staff meetings. When we get together, we talk about, hey, how can we pray for these people? How can we minister to these people? And we talk about how easy it is for us to see. Well, it's it's. For us, it's, it's clear that this is what they need. This is where they need to go. This is what they need to say. This is what they need to hear. This is what they need to believe. But we both recognize in ourselves how easy it is for us to become dispensers of the truth without believing that, understanding that, and applying that in our own hearts. And I wonder if it's like that for us, if it's anything like that with y'all as well. Uh, I, I love this quote, uh, this, this idea uh, presented by this Hasidic Jew. He was a rabbi on his deathbed looking back at his life. He said, when I was young, I set out to change the world. After a while, I realized that that was a little bit too ambitious. So I decided maybe if I can just focus on changing my country, I can do that. He said, as I got older, I realized that even that was too difficult. So I set out to change my town. I realized that my town was, too, was far, far beyond me. And so I said, maybe I'll just change my family. Looking back, I think that if I had said that I'm going to work on changing myself, then maybe I would have been able to change my family and then my town and then my country and who knows, maybe even the world. I think he understands something. That change begins in here and as we are changed, we are changed to bring about change in the lives of other people. I want to look at a, the life of a guy uh, who longed for that kind of a change. Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52 we're going to talk about a blind man named Bartimaeus, and he was a man who was desperate for God to change him, for Jesus to change him. And as he did, he became an agent of change, I do believe, uh, later on in his life. 
Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. This account is, is written in, in almost all of the Gospels. I'm not sure if it's in all four, but definitely in three of the four. This is God's word. It says, then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. This is God's word. This is a great, great passage. It's full of so much that we can understand. But it's interesting because though Bartimaeus was blind... He saw three things that I think you and I need to understand, three things that we need to see in order for us to see the greater work of God take place, not just out there, but in our lives, because I need that. I long for that. I want that for myself, as well as for you guys as a congregation, but, as, but even individually. I want this. I want the greater work of God in my life. I want to see more of God in my life. And he experienced it because he saw three things this blind man did that I want us who have eyes to see Uh, to see. The first thing that he saw was that all right, one word, all right, is not the same thing as all right. Okay, being all right is not the same thing as being all right. In Matthew's gospel, it says that there's two blind guys, Bartimaeus and another cat. Don't know what his name was. Probably didn't really matter because Bartimaeus is the one that we're focusing on here. But two blind guys, Blind people were on the bottom of the totem pole socially, socially because they couldn't see. They were dirty. They were unclean. Uh, uh, right a little bit above, uh, above uh, lepers, these blind people were. And so they would sit by the roadside begging. And it's Passover time. It's actually the last miracle that Jesus was going to do, the last sign that Jesus would do. And then he would go to the cross, the triumphal entry and all this. Passover, tons of people. So they're in the right place as beggars. You want to go where the people are. And so here they are shaking their beggars' cans. And I don't know if you can imagine... A blind Bartimaeus and his buddy getting together, two blind guys, and maybe they wake up, they run into each other, bump into each other because they can't see, and they're like, hey, how's it going? I'm all right. How are you? I'm all right. That's how uh, perhaps their days would begin. Uh, not really, but you, you kind of get the point that, hey, uh, same old, same old. It's been like this for I don't know how many years he's been blind. I don't know how he got blind. Maybe he got into a fight. Maybe he got into an accident. Maybe someone uh, was at... I don't know, a restaurant, and they had a straw, and they blew the straw thing out and poked his eye. I don't know how he got blind, but he was blind. He couldn't see, right? Don't say, doesn't say how long he is, but he's blind, and he's just kind of going about his business, and it's just a normal day like any other day. Hey, how you doing? I'm all right. One thing that he understood was that all right is not the same thing as all right. I think if we were to ask each other today, hey, how you doing? You'd probably say, I'm all right or I'm okay, or I'm fine, I'm cool, it's, it's all good, same old, same old. But I want us to understand that being all right is not the same thing as being all right, because there's more that we could be experiencing than simply all right. You know, in, in every so often, 
there are these phrases that come through uh, the vernacular of, of modern culture. And it's not, I'm not just talking about slang words, but, but words that people use and, and they begin to stick and they begin to find a place as, as a cliche in, in modern culture. And there are uh, words like, see if you recognize things like this. There would be, I don't know, maybe starting a couple years ago, three years ago, people would, would um, see something incredulous or they would see like uh, people driving on the road and then they'd get, get, get cut off without signaling and they would say like, Really? Really? You're really going to do that? You know, people who say that all the time, right? We have a, a gal in, in our uh, Middle East house church who always says that. She says, really? You guys ever notice that people say that all the time? Uh, there was a, I, this is kind of not as popular, but there was this one uh, phrase that people used to uh, use a lot on blogs that I would read. They would say, basically, uh, it, when you talk about do whatever you can to get something, they would say, you need to move heaven and earth in order to do this. You need to move heaven and earth in your schedule in order to eat at this restaurant. You guys ever hear this phrase? I used to hear, read about it a lot in blogs. But there's this one phrase that I, I would always hear, and I would catch myself saying it now and then because I thought it was cool because everyone else was saying it. But the more I think about it, the more I've, I've come to really despise the underlying assumption. And people <laughs> used to say this all the time, and maybe you say, I'm, I'm not trying to judge you or, or condemn you or anything, but uh, people would say, you know, about a situation, hey, you know, how's it going? I'm sorry that, um, I'm sorry that your house flooded. Or, hey, I'm sorry that uh, you're stuck in Orlando and it's like 90 degrees outside. And, and they would say something, well, oh, it is what it is. You guys ever use this phrase? It is what it is. And I think on the surface, it, you know, that's what you're saying. It is what it is. You, it, you know, that's just it's a statement of fact. But underlying that, according to Urban Dictionary, underlying that is a sense of, of, of like despair and hopelessness and the sense in which there's nothing that can be done about this situation. Like I'm a victim here. It is what it is. And I, I'm, just, I'm, just re, I'm just resigning my fate to the fact that this is what it is. That's cool. I'm blind. How are you doing today? It is what it is. Hey, sorry that you're blind. Well, it's all good. See, Bartimaeus understood something here. That he wasn't okay with just being okay. He wasn't all right with being all right. He wasn't, he wasn't cool to just say, okay, yeah, I'm blind. I'm, I'm a beggar. It is what it is. And he saw that and he understood that. And that's why at the end of this, we see something extreme happen in his life that he would forever be marked by this moment and he would never be the same again. How are you doing today? How would you respond to that? How are you doing? Okay, three weeks ago, we had this like amazing retreat. We had this amazing revival. How are you doing now? I'm all right. Okay, that's cool that you're all right. But are you okay with being all right? Is that cool with you that you're here in this place? It doesn't matter whether we're talking spiritually or we're talking about your mental state, whatever it might be. Are you okay with being okay? Because if you are, then I... I'm pretty sure that you will never see the greater things that God has in store for you and for me. One of the ways that that Francis Chan said, he says, we are so often lukewarm and loving it. We're lukewarm and we love the fact that we're lukewarm. We're just cool being lukewarm. And I'm all right with that. Yeah, it's all good. It's all good that I'm just okay in my relationship with God. And it's cool that I'm like that. I don't need to do anything about it. I don't, need to, I don't need to move from this place. I just need to stay here. It's cool. It's all right. It's done. See, Bartimaeus wouldn't have that because something within him realized that there's more that I could have. There's more that I could be experiencing. There's more that I could, I could be understanding. I'm blind right now. I'm begging right now. But could there be more to life than this? I wonder if any of you guys get that, like that gnawing sense of, 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 of hunger, wanting more in your life. 
There's got to be more than, than just kind of sitting here and singing songs and, and not being moved in my heart. There's got to be something more to it than that. There's got to be more than the occasional flutter in my heart when I, when I worship God. There's got to be more than that. How are you doing today, church? My friends, my brother, my sister, how are you doing today? Are you okay? Are you all right? And if you are, are you all right with being all right? Because I think God has so much more that he wants to do in you and me and in us. If we would want that and if we would see that and if we would embrace that, we would long for that. There's, there's in, in every, like these people who change history, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of jump ahead a little bit and talk about people who change. But think about if people, like heroes in movies that we watch, think about if they were just okay with the status quo. Right, things are cool. William Wallace, hey, hi, William, William Wallace. How goes things in Scotland? And sometimes I get my accents mixed up and I sound Irish or British or something, but indulge. Hey, how are things in Scotland? Hey, they're good. They stole enough freedom and their wives. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear. It is what it is. What kind of a story is that? Hey, William, are you okay with that? I'm all right with that. No way. Think about Superman. Superman, hey, hey. A lot of crime in Metropolis. Yeah, dude, it is what it is, man. No story, no movie there. It's, it's when we get upset with the status quo and say, you know what? That's not enough. I'm not all right with that. Hey, Jesus, the world that you created, a lot of sin. Yep, it is what it is. End of the story. But he didn't say that. Neither did Bartimaeus. He said, there's more. Good night, there's more. I'm blind and I'm begging for, for food and for money and everything that I have. But is there more? And so he hears there's these crowds and people are rustling. Hey, it's Jesus of Nazareth. Could it be? Could there actually be hope in my life? Could it be that there's more to life than what I'm living and what I'm experiencing right now? Could it be that Jesus wants to and can give me something? And he says, I don't care what, what you guys say. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for it. He starts calling out, Jesus. Son of David, have mercy on me. I've got nothing to lose. If you are who people think you are, then you can give me something that I can have that's going to change my life. But if I'm wrong, it doesn't matter because I'm not content to stay this way. I don't want to be okay with just being all right. There's more to life. There's more than just being blessed at a revival, church. There's more to life than just being all right with where you are in your walk with Jesus. He wants to do so much more. And so he rises up and he says, that's not enough. I'm not okay. Fellow blind brother here, I'm not okay with being okay. Let's go. Let's run to Jesus. He can do something. I think he can. I think he can. I'm going to go. And so he goes because he knew that being all right was not all right. And so the second thing that we see then for those longing for that within our hearts, for those longing for more of Jesus, is that trials refine and test our faith. Okay, trials refine and test our faith. As soon as he begins calling out to Jesus, here's what happens. He began to shout, but verse 48, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. Verse 48 in the middle, it says, but he shouted, all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. It would have been so easy for him because of all of the crowds. It's, these crowds are coming. It's not like Jesus is, I don't know, chances are 
that Jesus will probably not be walking right. Maybe he is. I don't know. This is the Passover time. There's millions of people coming into, into this place, walking the road to Jerusalem. There's tons of people there. Maybe Jesus was right in front of him, but I'd imagine this would cause him to yell really loud. And there's all these crowds and there's all these reasons. It's so busy. There's so much stuff going on. So many reasons why he should just say, you know what? I'm all right with being all right. It's okay. I don't need to bother him. I'm going to make a fool of myself. I'm going to start yelling and everyone's going to stare at me and everyone's going to look at me and it's going to be big trouble and, and I'm just going to feel so embarrassed. I'm already embarrassed because I'm, I'm, I'm begging. I'm blind. People stare at me. They look at me. I'm on the bottom of the, of the social system here in, in, in Jerusalem, in Israel, and people are already making fun of me. And if I yell more, then they're going to just beat me down. And so many begin to rebuke him. They said, shut up, Bartimaeus. This is Jesus, you see. Jesus, the great teacher, the miracle worker, just let him go. And he keeps on shouting. He keeps on shouting because you see, trials come and they test and they refine our faith. Here, I I read something this week. I think this is amazing. I think we need to get this. I think this is huge. Many times we miss out on amazing opportunities for God to work because they come disguised as problems. Many times we miss out on amazing opportunities for God to work in our lives because they come brilliantly disguised to us as problems. And so we think God can't be in that. But you see, trials come James chapter 1 says this. The reason for trials in the life of a believer is that it would work perseverance and the building and the testing of faith within us so that on the other side we can become that much stronger, that we could experience that much more of God. Trials come to test and refine our faith. Isn't this true with your experience? As soon as you begin calling out to God, you begin uh, hungering for more of Jesus. You get wanting more of Jesus, and then you get home from that retreat. You're a youth student, maybe, and you get into a fight with your parents. Your parents are like, hey, look at you. You didn't shower for three days, did you? And all of a sudden, right, that, that excitement, that hunger, that passion, the love and the hug our parents has been shot down. And you're like, good night. I thought I was going to live for Jesus, and now I get shot down. These trials come to test and to refine our faith. We come back from a retreat. You come back from a mission trip. You're so excited to wake up in the morning and spend time with God, and then you start getting sick. You start getting the runs, right? And you can't do it, and you're in bed. God, I thought, oh, I wanted to live for you. I wanted to do this. I wanted to turn over a new leaf, and now I get sick. Those trials have come to strengthen, to test and refine our faith. Maybe some of y'all experiencing this. You want to grow, and then all of a sudden, financial setback or relational difficulties come. Or problems at work come. These things are not there. See, I I think that the brilliant thing about him being blind is that he couldn't see. And even though these obstacles came to him, it did not mean that Jesus was not there. A lot of times we think because obstacles come in my life, it means that God has withdrawn his hand from me. It doesn't. In fact, Jesus was so much closer to Bartimaeus than he could ever begin to imagine. And in those moments where trials and testing and hardships come, it doesn't mean that God has left the building. In fact, it could be that he is so much closer to you than you could ever dare to believe. And that he's testing and refining our faith so that something that is unpurchasable 
could be deposited into our lives. Good night. Can you believe five years later, those of you who are going through hard times, as you walk this path, as you fight and cling to the cross during this time, to see your faith five years from now and look back at this trial and to realize that God was testing and he was refining and he was taking my copper, bronze, tinted faith and turning it into something far, far, worth far more than gold. And now I can face whatever comes my way and I can give hope to people. And see, sometimes we miss out on some amazing opportunities of God because they come brilliantly disguised as problems. You know, if we had seen the passing of, our, uh, of Tico as simply a problem, we would have missed out on so many amazing opportunities for the glory of God to take place in our midst. How many times does God show up and these opportunities for his glory to be revealed, they come masked and disguised as as problems and we look at them and we turn away from the only one who can help us in that moment because we don't see what Bartimaeus, the blind one, saw in these opportunities that God is presenting before us. I'm not minimizing these things because I've got issues, I've got difficulty, I've got hardship in my life too. And I'm not trying to gloss over them and to say, hey, you know what? We're just going to pie in the sky and believe and keep on going and ignore these hardships in life. I'm not. I understand as well as you do that these, these issues are real. We're not like Christian scientists who all just believe that they're not there. It's not like that. They're real. But at the same time, we're holding on to a God that we know is so much more real. He's, he's with us and he's holding on to us and he's standing with us and he's standing by us. You want to have your faith built? I come out one night to Wednesday night prayer meeting and, and listen to the stories of some of the people who are there. And these people are my heroes. And these people, man, they, I, 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 my faith is built because I know the story behind their lives and I know the story behind their faces. When I look at these people and I know the things that they struggle with. I know, the, I know the, the physical difficulties, the ailments that they have. I know the sickness that they have. I know the fears that they have. I know the, the financial hardships that they're going through. I know the, the, the struggle and the tension in their lives and in their families. And, and yet they're there because they know that this is the only place I can go. And I see that. And I see them refining, that, that God is refining their faith. And my heart is just... Like, I want to pray even more. God, hasten the day when faith will be sight in them. And my faith is strengthened so much when I come. And, I, and week after week, I see them there, faithfully, fighting, pushing, clinging, straining, wrestling, longing, wanting more of Jesus. And that's the most amazing thing to me. I love coming on Wednesdays to pray because I see that. I get to see that. They're they're taking these obstacles and they're stepping on top of them to see opportunities to get closer to God. Faith being refined and tested. English writer Somerset Mom tells a story, writes a short story about this guy who was the janitor at, I think, St. Peter's or St. Andrew's Cathedral. He was a janitor there, did a great job. But when his boss found out that he couldn't read or write, he fired him. He fired him and this guy took his meager savings and he invested into a little, uh, little shop on the street corner. Invest in in the story, it's a tobacco shop. Invest in a little tobacco shop. Business booms. It explodes. Takes off. He starts another store. Starts another store. Starts another store. Becomes a millionaire. And later on in life, 
He's got all these millions, and he's working with his banker, and his banker said, wow, you did all this even though you couldn't read or write. Imagine. What would you have been if you were not illiterate? And he said, if I were not illiterate, I would be the janitor at St. Andrew's Cathedral. He understood these things were strengthening, and these were opportunities given to him to build on him, to make him into the person that he was meant to be. That's what Bartimaeus saw. The last thing that we see, the last thing that Bartimaeus shows us here is that when desperation meets mercy, miracles happen. When desperation meets mercy, miracles happen. Jesus stopped, verse 49, and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. This is amazing. This is awesome. So he's in this place and he realizes that I'm not okay in this place. I know that these people are pushing me down and stomping me down, but faith is rising in me. He shouts all the more, Jesus, have mercy on me. When we're desperate, when we're desperate, obstacles move out of the way for us. And when people are, are, are desperate for food, They don't care about the law. They break whatever law they can to get that food because when they're desperate, obstacles mean nothing to them. And so they they steal the bread. They do whatever. They don't care if they get thrown in jail. They get thrown in jail. It's better for them because they're at least guaranteed they're going to eat three meals a day. When they're desperate, when you're desperate, obstacles move out of the way. You overcome those obstacles. And this is what he was doing. He was desperate for Jesus. He said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, have mercy. And, and, And Jesus stops. It's the beauty of a desperate heart that causes Jesus to to stop in that place. And then it says, verse 50, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. For a blind person, a cloak is everything that he had. This was his security. It was his jacket. It was his coat. It was everything that he needed. And in this moment, he's taking everything that he owned and he threw it aside for the sake of following after Christ and going to Jesus because he knew that whatever I've got in this world is nothing compared to what Jesus can give to me. And in that moment of desperation, he takes this thing and he throws it off and he runs after Jesus so that he could experience in his desperation the miracle of God. And the question I want to ask you is what is your cloak that you hold on to. When all else fades in life, when all else fails in life, at least I can go back to my cloak. For some of y'all, it's this, it's this relationship that you've got. I'm going to run to Jesus, and if he doesn't pull through for me, I'm going to go back to that relationship, go back to that guy, go back to that girl, because they're always going to be there. They're always going to be there for me. But go back to them. See, when we hold on to our cloak, guys, we're never going to experience the miracle of God that you so desperately want in your life. What is your cloak in your life? Maybe it's that habit. When everything else goes kaput in this life, you go back to that habit. Like At least that habit's going to be there. At least that will give me the comfort that I need. Maybe it's shopping. Maybe it's eating. Maybe it's surfing the internet. Maybe it's dulling your senses in some way. What's that cloak in your life? I just go back to that place. As long as we're holding on to that, guys, we're never going to be able to experience the greater things that God wants to give to us. It's just, we can't, like when, 
Manny sleeps. She's got this little, uh, she's got this dog and these two blankets. And everywhere she goes, she wants to carry these things around. Like she, they're like her best friends. It's kind of concerning because they're inanimate objects, but she acts as if they are. So whatever we would, we try and give her milk. She, before she drinks it, she says, uh, mung mung is a Korean word for dog. She says, mung mung. And so we have to give it to the dog first. And she holds up her blanket, says, blanket. We have to put the straw to the blanket. She holds up her other blanket, says, blanket. And we give it to her. And then she drinks it. It's kind of, it's kind of weird. She's strange like that. But she loves her dog and her blanket so much. This is her cloak. And the other day, I'm, I'm trying to get her into sports so that, you know, she can become an, a, a great athlete. So we've got this little bouncy rubber ball or plastic ball, and I'm balancing it. And she loves it, and I throw it at her and try and knock her down and stuff like that. We play dodgeball, and I always win. <laughs> and she's like, ah. But she loves it. She loves getting hit. And, and so I, 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 I do lightly. It's, it's soft, and I throw it at her, and she's like, ah. And she starts chasing after the ball. The ball is a little bit bigger than her. And so whenever she wants to pick up the ball – She's got this little issue because she needs both hands to pick it up, but she's got her dog and her blankets in this hand, and she's always trying to pick up both of them, and she can, and she starts kicking and screaming and crying, and I have to let her know, Manny, you cannot have the ball. Well, I say this in, in a nice way. You cannot have the ball and the dog and the blankets in your hand at the same time. You have to put these two things down so that you can pick up the ball that you want to play with. And she's like, no, no. And I think a lot of us live that way. When Jesus wants to give us greater things, we're like, no, Jesus, no, I want my cloak. I want my security. I want these things that I always go back to. I want my habits. I want my idols. I want my securities. I want these things. I want my status. I want my reputation. I've got to go back to that place. At least if I go back to this friend, even though they're not the the best, they're not the healthiest friend, I can go back to them and they'll make me feel good. What is it in your life? that you so cling to. Man, this guy is, he threw that aside. He jumped to his feet. He came to Jesus and the response of Jesus, what do you want me to do for you? This is an open invitation. Like the heavens are opened up and he's saying, what do you want me to do? And if Jesus were to come to me and Jesus were to come to you and say, look, Joshua, what do you want me to do for you? Joanne, what do you want me to do for you? Joshua, what do you want? Joseph, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Would not that be the most amazing thing? See, what is it that moves Jesus? Because there's something about this. Like this desperate heart where, where little man Zacchaeus... Little, we old man, we old man was he, couldn't see Jesus. He climbed up on a tree and Jesus stops in the midst of that crowd, says, hey, Zach, Zach, come down. Nick, Nick, Zach, Zacchaeus, not Nicodemus. Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to go and I'm going to hang out and eat dinner at your crib today. And Zacchaeus is like, oh my gosh. Like it's these people who are desperate that stop Jesus in their track because they're like, this, this moment is passing by. I don't know if Jesus is going to come through my way again. So whatever I can do, Jesus, stop, stop. I'm desperate for you. And the cry that he gives out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And in his mercy, Jesus is moved. Literally, it says, have pity on me. I'm a beggar. I'm blind. Have pity on me. And Jesus stops. That place. Moved, not because of this man's merit, 
but moved by mercy. You see, the greatest thing that this beggar had going was that he knew he didn't deserve it. If you look at, at just that same chapter in verse 36, the exact same thing Jesus says to Bartimaeus, he says to James and John, says, what do you want me to do for you? Verse 36, 51, the same thing. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Exact same thing to James and John. What do you want me to do for you? They said, give me this. We deserve it. He says, no, you have no idea. What do you want me to do for you, Bartimaeus? I want to see. In that moment, go. Your faith has healed you. It's this mercy that moves Jesus when we understand, we recognize that I don't come to you, Jesus, demanding these things as if I'm better or that I deserve this. But when desperation meets mercy, miracles come. See, the, the last uh, few days when we were in Portland, daughter Manny's had a really hard time sleeping. And I'm always a stickler. I want to teach her, hey, y- you need to learn how to sleep, Manny. You can't always cry out for mom and dad. You need to cry and cry and cry until you get tired and you fall asleep because that's how you're going to learn because trials come to test and refine your faith. So in my home, they call me the rock because I'm stoic when it comes to Manny's sleep patterns, they just let her cry, let her cry. It doesn't matter. One hour, two hours, just let her cry. And Olive is the softie. She's the mom. And she's like, oh, it's been 30 seconds. I can't take it anymore. Can I go and get her? I'm like, no, you can't. Don't let her cry. But in Portland, she had a little, Manny had a little bit of a hard time sleeping. And because she started getting a, a sniffles and, and runny nose, so um, Olive went in and she would uh, put Manny on the bed and she would sleep next to her. And Manny would be so happy. As soon as Olive would go, it just lights out. And so Manny would say in Korean, she would say, uh, she would say, Mommy, Mommy, I want to sleep with Mommy. And so whenever we would put her down, she would say that, Mommy, I want to sleep with Mommy. She'd wake up and she'd stand up and she'd start shaking her little pack and play, Mommy, Mommy, let me down, let me down. I want to sleep with Mommy. Sounds a lot cuter in Korean, but that's what she's saying. So we came home late Friday night, about 1130, and it was time for us to put Manny to sleep. And so uh, Olivia's cradling her. She's, uh, Manny gets knocked down. She puts her down. Immediately she gets up and she starts crying. She starts screaming. And so um, the rock says, let her cry over an hour. She's crying and she's crying and she's crying and she's crying and she's crying. And she's, she's crying out. And it's not just like this, this random cry. It's like, mommy, mommy, let me down. Mommy, I want to sleep with mommy next to mommy. And it's, it's, it, I'm, I'm beginning to crack a little bit. It's kind of getting a, a little bit uh, difficult to hear her saying these things. And Olivia's like, oh, you know, what are we going to do? I'm so frustrated. I want to go in and I don't want to go in. So after about a little bit over an hour, I said, I'll I'll go in. I went in and I was like, I'm I'm good at this. I'll put her to sleep and then I'll put her down. I'm holding her and she comes in and she stops crying when I go in. She thinks it's mom, but I say it's it's dad. And she's like, okay. And she starts saying dad, dad, and she falls asleep. And she's got like this kind of like, she's been crying for over an hour that she's got, you know, so she, she's like, I'm holding her. She's sleeping, but she's doing that. She's like, <gasps> and so I think if I put her down at this point, she's going to uh, startle herself and wake up. So I'm holding her and I'm, I'm rocking her. And she's falling asleep because she's snoring and at the same time doing that hyperventilation. And so I know she's sleeping, but I'm waiting for that to pass. So I sit on the rocking chair and I'm rocking with her and I'm holding her. And I'm pretty sure she's knocked out, but the whole thing, she's like clutching my arm. She thinks I'm going to let her down. Uh, and so after a while I get up, I've, su- I've sung my songs to her and then um. I'm about to, I move her into a different position and this is like preparation stage to put her down. And then she opens her eyes and she looks up at me and I'm like, oh, Minnie, it's okay, it's okay. <laughs> Cradling her and, and she's like, goes back to sleep. And then I'm about to make the move, about to put her down. She opens her eyes, she starts crying. I put her down, I run out of the room and she starts flipping out. But this time, this time, 
It's not mommy, mommy. This time she says, daddy, daddy. I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, no. Like, daddy, daddy, daddy. And I'm, I'm like, oh, what am I going to do? And all of a sudden, like the rock has become a sponge. And I'm looking, and it's this place where desperation meets mercy. And then the miracle of miracles, Olive going to sleep with her. Olive goes, and she sleeps with Manny, and then all is good again. See, when desperation meets mercy, miracles happen. Our God is a God of mercy. Are we a people of desperation who realize, God, I am so in need of you. I am so in need of you that I will throw my cloak aside. I will throw my security, everything that I hold to, everything that I go back to, everything I find my comfort and my hope and, my, and, and, and all that I find my security. And I, I give all that aside and I run to you, Jesus. I throw myself upon all that you are because there's nowhere else that I could go. That's the only place I can be. And this blind smelly beggar has heaven opened up to him because our God understands what it is to take his cloak robed in glory. The heavens can't contain the glory of the sun. And yet he laid all that aside. Said the father, what do you want me to do? To see those beggars down there, those blind ones, to show amazing grace and let them hear how sweet the sound, so that they could one day sing, I once was blind, but now I see, was lost, but now I'm found. See, at Calvary, Jesus Christ became the beggar, and he called out to the Father. When the Father turned his face from him, So that in our hardship and in our problems and in our obstacles, we know that he will never turn his face away from us. But that his gaze is focused and set on us and that we would turn to him in desperation. And there we would begin to see the greater things of God at work in your life and in mine. Let's pray together. As our praise team comes, why don't we rise? Let's stand to our feet. Let's just say, God, I am in need of you. And right now, we don't need to yeah, talk to each other. Let's just talk with God. Are you okay with being okay? Are you all right? Because all right is not the same thing as being all right in this life of yours. Where do we need God to show up? I know some of you have been praying and you feel like you've been desperate. I'm sure that no doubt some of you have been so desperate for God. But let's continue to go to that place of desperation. I'm not to those who feel like I've been I've been I've been seeking God and I've been crying out for mercy and grace. And in a desperate way, I'm not I'm not beating you down and saying you're not doing it right. I'm not at all. But I am saying that God hears the desperate cries and mercy moves him to action and stops Jesus Maybe for some of us, we need to move to that place and say, Jesus, 
Even though these obstacles threaten to stomp me down, I'm going to continue to run after you. I'm going to continue to go for you. Maybe for some of you, that means, God, I'm going to call out to you right now. Maybe for others, that means this week, I'm going to begin by starting and forming this, this prayer, prayer triad. And we're going to pray and call out to God together. Maybe for others, that means I'm going to come out to prayer meeting. I'm going to inspire other people, and I'm going to be inspired by their faith. Maybe for some, it means I'm going to let go of the cloak that I'm holding on to. And we know, and you know in your heart that God is putting a finger on it, and he's calling it out in your heart and your mind, and you feel it, and you sense it, you're trying to push it away. And he's saying, let it go. Because all right with that is not the same thing as being all right, because I've got things that I want to show you and doing you greater things that would blow your mind. However, we need to respond for a few moments. Let's pray to the Lord God and say, God, I need you. I want you. All I want is more of Jesus in my life. Let's pray together. Let's, let's pray. If you want to pray out loud, I'd encourage you to do that. If you want to pray quietly, as long as you can pray with a sincere heart and, 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 and to pray for that kind of a, a desperate heart, a longing heart. God, I want more of you. Let, let's seek the Lord God. Let, let's pray together. Lord, I want more of you and me. God, I don't want to be all right with where I am. Lord God, I don't want to be content with this place. God, I want more of you, Lord Jesus, more love for you, Lord God. I want more hunger for your presence, oh God. I want more passion for the word of God in my life. I want more zeal for the lost, Lord God, the things that move and break your heart, Lord God. I want more of that in me as well. God, I pray that you would come and you would place your hands on me, Lord God, and that you would help me to long for you to call out in desperation, Lord God, to run after you, Lord God. I thank you, Father, that you are near, Lord God, that you are near to us, Lord God. Move within us, Lord God, and stir us, Lord God, to seeking, Lord God. Stir us to running, Lord God, to pursuing you, Lord God. That we are a people, Lord God, Lord God, and we understand and we recognize that, Lord God, but we don't want to be resigned to that place, Lord God. Help us to run after you, Lord God, and to pursue you, Lord God, that you would draw us near to you, Lord God. And as we pray, I, I know that there are people, maybe you've chosen to sit next to the person that you're sitting next to. Maybe you didn't. But I know that in their heart, in their lives, that there's got to be some things that maybe need to be lifted up before the Lord. And, and maybe your faith and your prayer could be what strengthens them and sustains them and helps them to believe uh, that they are not forgotten, that they are not alone. So let's put your hand on, on the shoulder or on the, on, on the back or to grab a hold of the hand of the person next to you. And, and let's pray for each other. Let's pray, God Almighty, that you would come and that you would have mercy on them. God, that you would move into the place of their lives where they most desperately need you. Lord, that they would throw their cloak aside and they would run to you, Lord God, for physical ailments, for economic hardship, for a vocational, whatever it might be. Let's pray. Let's lift each other up to the Lord God. Strengthen one another in faith. Let's pray together. Lord Almighty, that you would come, Lord God, and that you would have your way with us, Lord God. Lord, that you would come and that you would bless those in need of your grace and mercy. Lord, that you would come and that you would move within your people, Lord God, and John and Paul and Albert and Melissa and Isaac and all their kids. Lord Almighty, that you would come and that you would pour your holy presence into their lives. God, that you would come, Lord God, and that you would graciously intervene, Lord God. That you would graciously move in those places in a way that can only be attributed to a miraculous working of God. 
Oh, holy God, that you would come and that you would touch your people, Lord God. Lord, that you would make us desperately and uh, hungering after you, Lord God. We are a people in need. We are a people in need, Lord God. May we run to you, Lord God. May we run to the cross. May we cling to you, Lord God. Oh, how we need you, Lord God. Oh, how we need you, Lord God. Come and fill us up, Lord God. Lord Almighty, that you would come and that you would bring your wonder-working power, Lord God. Those who need more hours at work that you provide. Those who need a job that you would provide. Those who need breakthrough spiritually that you would provide. Those who need to overcome of addiction, oh God, that you would provide. For those who need to break the chains of, of habitual sin that you would help them and that you would be the mighty God in them, Lord God. Oh, Holy Father, that you would come. Those who need healing emotionally, Lord God. Those whose families need healing, Lord God. Those who need are praying for revelation and praying for their family that you do this. Those who need miracles in their place, God, would you do it in the name of Jesus. Oh, Holy Spirit, that you would come, Lord God. Lord, the greater work of God, we want to long for more of that. We don't want to settle for anything. More of you, Jesus. Lord, we long for more of you. God, that you would come and you would touch us in the name of Jesus. Father in heaven, we thank you that you accept us blind and broken beggars just as we are. But as beggars, we can become so audaciously bold because we have been given an opportunity that we could never before imagine. And yet at the same time, we plead for your mercy and grace because we know that we've been given so much more than we could ever deserve. Father, because of that, because you've given so much, should we not go before the throne and bombard it with our humble petitions for our families, for our lives, for our friends, for our fellow youth, for our fellow adults? Should we not, would we not, could we not fight for the greater things of God that you want to reveal in us to be made known? Oh, Lord, and make us bold. Make us diligent, make us prayerful so that we can see greater things in our lives, in our families, in our church, through us, in our world. Thank you so much. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.